it's Thursday, the 4th of January, and welcome to Career 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang Woo. A pre trial detention warrant has been issued for the attacker who stabbed the Democratic Party chair, Lee Jae Myung, earlier this week. We'll have the latest updates in news briefing shortly. Coming up, we have a new in depth analysis segment, Weekly Take, where our panel of political commentators pick their top political and social issues of the week. And for Explore Korea, we'll be finding out about a sculptor and installation artist who explores the nature of human conflict using the medium of metal. We have all that and more on today's Career 24. A local court has issued a pre-trial detention warrant for the attacker of main opposition Democratic Party chair Lee Jae-myung on attempted murder charges. Our KBS World Radio news editor Gui Jin joins us in the studio now to bring us up to date on the investigation as well as our other headlines of the day. Hee Jin, hello. Hello, jang The doctors say that the DP leader is now stable and has been moved from the ICU to the general ward. But first, what can you tell us of the court proceedings against the assailant? Well, the Busan District Court issued a pre-trial detention warrant for the attacker, a man in his, in his 60s, surnamed Kim, on Thursday. In issuing the warrant, the court said the suspect is a flight risk when taking into account the details, danger and severity of the crime. Kim stabbed the left side of the DP chief's neck earlier on Tuesday after approaching him under the pretext of being a supporter, while he was inspecting the site of delayed construction on a new airport on Kadok Island. Kim was apprehended on site and has since been subject to police investigation. The court's warrant hearing for the assailant was over in just 20 minutes. When asked by reporters why he attempted to take the life of the DP leader, Kim told them to refer to an eight-page statement he submitted to the police. Right, so the motivations behind the attack still remain unclear. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, we're yet to hear from the TB, DP chief himself as well. So mm-hmm. we will keep tabs on any of those developments in the coming days. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, prosecutors indicted former main opposition Democratic Party leader Song Young-gil over alleged bribery ahead of the 2021 party leadership rates. He is, of course, already under pre-trial detention as well. Can mm-hmm. you tell us more? Well, the Seoul Central District Prosecutor's Office on Thursday indicted Song on charges of bribery and violating the political fund law. Song is accused of involvement in the distribution of cash envelopes totaling 66.5 million won, or around 51,000 US dollars, to 20 sitting DP lawmakers and regional party heads between March and April of 2021. Song is Suspected of receiving 50 million won from a businessman identified by the surname Kim and another 10 million won from DP turned independent representative Lee Sung Man in off the book election funds. He also allegedly took illegal political funds totaling 763 million won from seven people through an external sponsor group between January 2020 and December 2021. Out of the illegal political funds, 40 million won from Park Yong-ha, the former head of the Yosu Chamber of Commerce and Industry, was allegedly given as a bribe in return for business favours. Let's turn now to some economy and business news. The nation's economy is expected to grow 2.2% this year, 
backed by a rise in exports of items like semiconductors. But still, the government says sluggish domestic consumption and investment will likely limit further growth. Can you tell us more? Well, the Finance Ministry on Thursday released its 2024 Economic Policy Directive on Thursday, saying that while growth stood at 1.4% last year, the export-driven economy will likely expand 2.2% this year. The forecast matches that of the International Monetary Fund and is higher than the Bank of Korea's 2.1% projection issued in November. Exports are expected to jump 8.5% on year in 2024, largely thanks to improvements in the global chip sector, and imports are projected to rise 4% year on year, with a current account surplus of around 50 billion US dollars. Still, uh, private spending and investment in the construction sector are expected to see a slump, with spending likely to rise uh, only rise 1.8%, Affected by real income reduction from inflation and high interest rates. Meanwhile, Hyundai Motor and its affiliate Kia Corporation both posted a double-digit growth in sales in the US last year to hit all-time record performances. So can you break down the figures for us? Well, according to Hyundai Motor America on Wednesday, its annual total sales marked a record high 801,195 units in 2023, up 11% from a year earlier. For December, Hyundai reported sales of 75,164 units to post a 4% increase year on year and the highest December sales in company history. Kia Motors America also said its annual sales in the US grew 13% on year to set an all-time record with 782,451 units sold last year. Six Kia models, the Carnival, Nero, Seltos, uh, Sportage, Telluride and Forte uh, set all-time annual re- uh, sales records in 2023, while sales of electric models increased 41%. That's where we're going to wrap it up for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you. With the start of a new year, we have somewhat of a new weekly in-depth segment to bring our listeners. Last year, we covered uh, local political issues with our political commentators on a regular basis without a formal name for the segment. But now we are officially launching a regular in-depth segment to discuss some of the biggest political and social issues of the week. We're calling this segment Weekly Take. And different from last year, we'll be asking our guests to choose a topic each, topics that they feel need to be highlighted and discussed that week. We'll get their reaction to each other's topics as well. So this is going to take place once a week. Let's get going and zoom in on the events that shaped Korean politics and society this week. And we, of course, do that with our expert panel. Joining us on the line, first we have Law Professor Cho Hee-kyung from Hongi University. Professor Cho, hello and Happy New Year. Hello and Happy New Year to you too and all the staff. And we also have standing by a Philip Professor Kim Byung-ju from the Hangul University of Foreign Studies as well. Professor Kim, hello to you too and Happy New Year as well. Hello, Happy New Year. 
So thank you both for joining us once again for this new iteration of our segment. I'm excited to hear what topics you have brought for us today. So, Professor Chua, let us start with you. What is the issue of the week that you have picked for us? The issue uh, I um, I have brought is the controversy surrounding the Ministry of Defence uh, describing Tokdo as a subject of dispute or territorial dispute, like the Kuril Islands or Dao Dao Islands. Now, it has been uh, our government's position ever since the founding of the Republic that Tokdo is and has always been territory of Korea, and there is no territorial dispute. But, right, so this uh, was uh, something that the Defence Ministry, they released the latest uh, revised military textbook on basic mental fortitude education, uh, and it said that uh, Tokto Islets, which are the easternmost islets of the South of South Korea, uh, it said that they are subject to an ongoing territorial dispute, which, of course, contradicts South Korea's basic stance uh, on that, as you were saying. So the, these textbooks um, that have originally been uh, prepared, or well, they've actually been amended, they've, they've been undertaking this amendment uh, project for some months. And it's not the first time that the content of the amended textbooks uh, has been in question. Um, there's there has had been some uh, concern over how the uh, first president of Korea, South Korea, uh, Sun Man Lee, has been idolized uh, and not necessarily sort of uh, described in an objective light, because uh, obviously he was the first president of uh, Republic of Korea, but he also became very authoritarian in his later years and uh, did. Uh, some terrible things and eventually went into exile uh, but the textbook didn't um, so wasn't really taking a very objective stance and also the team that was um, that was actually make, preparing the amended textbooks constituted at least 40% of military personnel and included hardly any historians uh, or uh, history professors or other sort of outsiders who might have been able to bring more objective perspective, which is very different from um, in the past years when the textbooks had undergone amendments. So I would like, I mean, we can draw an analogy. It's a little bit like the Israeli defense minister calling Hamas independence fighters or the Ukrainian defense minister calling the Russians liberators. So uh, Japan might argue that, you know, they have claims to uh, Tokdo and uh, from outside perspective, they might call this a territorial dispute. But from Korean government's perspective, it has always been the case that there is and has never been a territorial dispute because Tokdo is firmly and securely and certainly historically and legally uh, South Korean territory and, and not Japan's. Mm. So this was um, something very serious that actually originated from the defense military. Uh, and 
it also became highlighted that the defense minister in the past had actually expressed similar um, sentiments or, or views in, in his social media uh, comments that he left and also in his spoken statements in the National Assembly. So we have a defense minister who is essentially espousing the views of Japanese government and not the Korean government. And so this obviously came as a, a serious concern. Right. So just to give a bit more of the timeline of what happened, the military, as uh, so the defense ministry released this uh, revised textbook with this controversial text. Uh, but then the ministry, after there was intense public backlash, uh, was quick to retract the text. The uh, defense minister, Shin Won-shik, apologized over it as well. And President Yun uh, slammed what happened as well. Uh, but then there was a further controversy because of uh, the defence minister, Shin Won-shik, making similar remarks in the past uh, during a parliamentary defence committee meeting last year. And that has a further array, uh, caused controversy. Professor Kim, what do you make of Professor Chaw's pick this week? Well, uh, I am completely with the defense minister's position and also President Yoon's position on this issue. What I mean by that is I do understand there are two different dimensions. One is official dimension and uh, the other one is private dimension. Official dimensions, we do know Japan wants to make Dokdo as disputed uh, territory and wants to take to international court, for instance, and uh, they want to highlight, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, there is a disagreement between the two countries. Korean position is there is no such uh, disagreement, and we have actually controlled the Dokdo for decades, and it is Korea's uh, territory uh, without any uh, second thoughts. So that's official position. And the private side of it is, of course, from the third-party perspective, there is a disagreement between Japan, and so there is no question about that. But Korean official position is clear; it has been uh, put, it has been there forever, pretty much. And uh, what happened was probably it was a mistake. It was a clear mistake. Uh, we don't know how it happened, but it uh, it was expressed it, a view that's not in accordance with the Korean government was expressed. It was a mistake, and the mistake was rectified. Uh, there's a no, you know, period. There's no other second, third conditions attached to this. And whatever has been mentioned on the private dimension of it is a separate issue. And uh, it's a defense minister who came out saying that this was a mistake, and uh, he takes the responsibility and uh, he made sure that uh, you know mistake has been rectified and the president Yoon takes the same uh, position here and i just don't see any reason for internal dispute inside korea about this issue it has to end as it is and i don't see any reason for any disagreement amongst uh, us the koreans mm -hmm. Professor Chua, I feel I should give you uh, a quick chance to response before to respond before we move on. Yes, first of all, uh, the textbooks were not withdrawn as a result of uh, public backlash. Obviously, there was a huge public backlash uh, against textbooks, but it was as a result of the president expressing anger at what happened, and that's when the military moved promptly to withdraw the textbooks. They weren't really. 
you know, they didn't imme immediately come out and say, okay, we'll withdraw the textbooks. Initially, they were explaining, or they were trying to uh, excuse uh, the statement saying that, well, we were not saying that this is our government's position, i.e. Korean government's position, but that this is the view taken by or uh, dispute uh, that was, uh, you know, claimed by other countries such as Russia, Japan, etc. But obviously, again, I come back, come back to the analogy, you know, uh, every terrorist organization from one, one perspective is a freedom fighter or an independence fighter, but you have to look at things object objectively, and particularly if you are serving as the defense minister of that country. Um, and secondly, we know that the defense minister, Shin Wan-sik, had, had held these views even before he was appointed defense minister. And given his outspoken uh, views and comments like this, you have to question how was it possible that he was actually appointed by, by the president to the position of defense minister. And last, the fact that the change only came about because of presidential anger also concerns me uh, because the military should have taken care of the error uh, before mm, right. it went into print, etc. Right. Well, it certainly was a hot topic this week. It even led to the main opposition Democratic Party calling for the uh, resignation of the defence minister. Uh, we'll see if such calls continue in the days to come. Uh, let's move on to our second topic, Professor Kim's uh, issue of the week. Professor, uh, what have you picked for us? It's about the what's called uh, financial investment tax being repealed. President Yoon announced at the opening of the stock market two days ago on Tuesday uh, that he wants to have the financial investment tax repealed, abolished. And this, is, uh, this creates a, a much concern in my mind. I, I don't know the details about all the numbers and the details about how the tax operates and uh, uh, what he means by repeal, uh, you know, like a removing, getting rid of the tax right. itself. I need more details, but I, I have mean, uh, concerns in the bill. I have some basic details. So the government uh, announced plans to abolish capital gains tax on stocks, which was scheduled to take effect in 2025. This was a plan that was introduced by the former Moon Jae-in administration. Uh, real investors, retail investors were uh, were, having, were going to have to pay 20 to 25% on gains from local stock trading. That's over 50 million won, which is around 38,000 US dollars. Uh, President Yun vowed to tackle the so-called career discount, where Korean stocks are valued lower or assigned a higher risk premium than their global peers, weighing down the stock market. And this is one of the ways that... Uh, he was looking to address this, but uh, critics have expressed unease about this uh, plan. Right. And uh, about this issue, I have three uh, concerns in the big picture, uh, setting aside all the technicalities and uh, operation details aside. Number one concern is the discourse on tax in general in this society. Number two is our understanding of finance and then how what finance means into our future. And the third is populism. Number one is tax. Uh, you know, of course, as a conservative government, uh, I do understand it has desire to introduce as much of tax cuts as possible you know, to, to please its conservative supporters. 
the thing is, however, we face a time here where we need greater uh, willingness for contribution for the society and sharing all together. When we face all this polarization and concerns about declining population and so on, uh, selling tax cuts as a political uh, goods on sale is just, just not a good idea. Uh, we have to find ways to support a population imbalance going forward and then uh, work on the polarization of rich people getting richer, uh, but particularly in this society based on this real estate uh, you know, market and gains, people with larger amount of asset tend to accumulate uh, you know, ever faster uh, you know, their assets at a, at a faster growth rate. And so selling tax cuts altogether is not a desirable direction for government going forward. Number two, finance side. Uh, for decades, I believed that investment is an important tool uh, to channel resources to the sectors of industries and economy that needs greater growth. But after several decades, I have a lot of doubts about this. Uh, seeing all this financial capitalism around the world and countries like the United States where financial capitalists gaining incredible amount of wealth while a large amount of their population are losing their homes and becoming homeless. So finance itself needs better understanding, shared understanding about how we want to deal with finance in this country. Of course, everybody has investment in the stocks. So, uh, you know, tax cuts on stock, uh, capital gains on tax, you know, on, on stocks could be popular and will be popular politically. Mm. But is it the way we want to deal with finance going forward? Some of the people, and I would agree the view that actually finance today is pretty much of speculation rather than the investment that we believed in the past. So uh, concern about finance. Three, populism. With the election coming, of course, this idea of capital gains, tax on stocks being abolished will be popular for everybody. But however, is it a really good thing to introduce at this time with the election coming? Of course, it will be politically savvy and politically smart, but is it good for the country? And if both parties compete with this kind of populist ideas being sold to the people with the election in mind, is that the desired picture we see? I don't think so. Professor Cho, what are your thoughts on Professor Kim's pick? I was also concerned uh, about this topic when I heard the news that the UN government was planning to abolish capital gains tax on uh, stocks or shares. Uh, there was another piece of news which basically said that um, it wasn't complete or entire abolishment, but that they would uh, only impose it for stock shareholders that hold up to something like 5 billion won worth of, of shares because at the end of every fiscal year or financial year, the uh, shareholders in the past would actually sell down share, their shares. This is for major, those investors who are known as major shareholders so that they wouldn't have to uh, pay the uh, capital gains tax or on their shareholding and there were claims that this was actually skewing the stock market uh, at the year end. But 
you hardly find uh, any other country that does not impose capital gains tax on on shares to actually exempt such a large portion uh, of what is essentially wealth generating tool uh, and treating it exceptionally from other classes of assets is something really abnormal and it's something that they have been successive governments have been trying to do uh, for some years and it had been planned and now for the young government to all of a sudden say that we are going to get rid of it altogether is certainly uh, not fiscally healthy and for a government who is uh, always arguing for uh, fiscal responsibility I would say that this is actually very fiscally irresponsible, um, particularly getting rid of the, mm. the, the transfer tax on major shareholders, because that alone, I understand, is going to create some some uh, 1.5 billion one hole in tax revenue uh, per per year. So um, this is actually contrary to what the Yun admin, administration claims that they want to do. Right, so it seems uh, both of you are broadly on the same page uh, on this topic, that you both have concerns over the plan. So we will end it there, but we'll see, I guess, what progress can be made on this plan, especially as I believe it needs parliamentary approval, which will not be easy, as it's supposed by the DP, but uh, we will see. Uh, We'll have to wrap it up there. Thank you both for your time and for bringing us your topics for our first weekly take, and we look forward to uh, more of... Uh, more topics that you will bring for us in the future weeks. Uh, thank you once again. We've been speaking to Professor Kim Byung-ju and Professor Cho Hee-kyung. Uh, thank you once again for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index shed 20.29 points, or 0.78% on Thursday, to close at 2,587.02. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, losing 5.32 points, or 0.61%, to close at 866.25. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 5.21 against the U.S. dollar, closing at 1,310 You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. Next up, it's Korea Trending. This is our daily segment where we take a look at some of the other news stories that have been trending online today. And for that, we have with us in the studio, news editor Daniel Che to bring us those stories. Daniel, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. It's good to see you too, Jang-woo. Okay, so what do you have for us first today? Well, Gangwoo Palace vandalism cases that are still fresh in our minds, they happened just last month. And now there's been another case of vandalism involving graffiti, this time at a famous park located in the southeastern city of Ulsan. Yes, that sounds very troubling. Can you give us more details on this latest incident? Sure thing. Local news outlets reported on Thursday that someone spray-painted the words Padanam, or Man of the Sea, in blue on one of the unique rocks in the Dewangam Park. 
It is an area that's difficult to access due to jagged rocks, but the vandal appears to have worked their way there while practicing the craft on some of the smaller rocks before getting to the main target. The rocks are found in the seaside park on the east coast with several legends surrounding it, including how the queen of the unified Shilla dynasty, the wife of King Munmu, asked to be buried there or was lost at sea and that she was reborn as a dragon that can protect the country. Some believe that is why the rocks appear to resemble a dragon. Right, so this time the vandals spray-painted a natural monument. These are geological marvels. It's rather upsetting that an important historical area that's home to legends, essentially, was vandalised in this way. So what's being done to address the situation and find the vandal? The provincial government has begun investigations, including acquiring all relevant CCTV footage. Although the park is not registered as a national treasure or heritage, it is a public facility, and as such, vandalism of the area is punishable by a fine of between 100,000 won and 3 million won, so between 75 and 2,300 dollars. Restoration work will be carried out. Authorities plan to remove the paint without the use of chemicals to prevent polluting the surrounding waters. But as we found out from the Gyeongbok Palace incident, removing graffiti is no easy task and not cheap, right? Not at all. Using Gyeongbok Palace as an example, it's estimated that more than 100 million won or 76,000 US dollars was spent to restore its walls. And it also takes time. Currently, only around 80% of the removal process has been completed over two weeks after the incident took place. Right, well, thankfully, the graffiti on the rock in Ulsan is not as large as the Gyeongbok Palace wall incident. And also, I guess it's less fragile, should we say? It's just a natural rock rather than a wall that needs preservation. But still, this is uh, something that we flagged up as a concern as well, that the Gyeongbok Palace incident would inspire copycat crimes. Hopefully, this vandal is also caught quickly to deter further acts like this. OK, let's move on to our second story. What do you have for us? The number of visitors to national museums in Korea surpassed 10 million for the first time last year. Yes, that's quite a remarkable milestone. We actually talked on the show a couple of weeks back, I believe, about how the National Museum of Korea itself welcomed its 4 millionth visitor in mid-December. But today we're talking about uh, more than uh, just one museum. Can you help us look uh, beyond the figures? Yes, let's start with the precise number. According to the National Museum of Korea on Thursday, last year 10.47 million people visited the 13 national museums in the country. That means at least one out of five Koreans have visited a national museum. The figure easily beats the previous record of 9.98 million, which was set in 2019. The number of foreigners visiting the set cultural facilities also increased by nearly threefold during the same period. All affiliated museums, excluding the National Museum of Korea, saw a 14% on-year increase of visitors, with a total reaching 6.29 million. What were some of the driving factors behind this welcome trend? Well, it's said that the numerous special exhibits that were held helped attract a greater number of visitors to the smaller museums. These included Gyeongju National Museum's Return of Tanma exhibition, which displayed a majestic horse painting along with various artifacts unearthed from the Shilla royal tombs, as well as the Igeonhi collection exhibitions held in several locations, including Daegu and Cheongju. Museums in tourist hotspots like Gyeongju and Jeju saw increased visitors, with the tourism industry being revitalized after the pandemic. Uh, museum officials vowed to continue working hard to find and open new exhibitions that best reflect the uniqueness of the various different regions. Well, it's great to hear that the museums are doing so well, especially after some difficult years during the pandemic. Let's continue on to our last story. What else has been trending? 
In the world of sports, baseball namely, Ko Woo-suk has become the next big Korean star to make the switch to the majors. According to MLB.com, the official site of the MLB on Thursday Korea time, Ko has signed a two-year contract with the San Diego Padres, expected to be worth $4.5 million with a mutual option for 2026. Yes, and he'll of course be joining the Golden Glove winner Kim Ha-sung at the Padres as well, so he'll have a fellow countryman on the team. Not only that, I understand the Padres went all out to make Ko feel at home. They're no strangers when it comes to welcoming Korean stars. The club welcomed the 25-year-old uh, via the official social media account. One reason why the Padres are excited to have Ko is because they failed in the previous attempt to sign another Korean superstar in Lee Jong-hoo, who signed a six-year $113 million deal, deal with the Giants. The Padres apparently took a page from the Giants' playbook in welcoming their Korean star, writing the welcoming uh, signs or welcoming notes in Korean on their uh, social media, X as they called it, previously known as Twitter. Mm. Ko is actually the brother-in-law of the center fielder, the right-handed reliever, and the reliever played fewer than nine seasons in the Korean Pro Baseball League, the KBO, so the Padres will need to pay a release fee to his previous club, the LG Twins. Yes, expectations, I'm sure, will be high of four core. Can you give us uh, a brisk intro of what he can bring to his new MLB squad? In seven seasons pitching for the LG Twins, the 25-year-old has posted a 3.19 ERA with 138 saves while also notching more than 400 strikeouts in 367 and one-third innings. His main arsenal is a 150-kilometer-per-hour fastball. He'll be able to show his new team once his training camp starts in February what he can do. Korean fans will actually get the chance to see Kowusok's first game with the Padres as they will take on the Los Angeles Dodgers at Kochok Skydome in Seoul as part of the MLB World Tour Seoul Series in March. So another Korean name to look out for in the majors next year. OK, that's all we have time for today's career trending. Thank you for those stories, Daniel, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. Time now for Explore Korea, a weekly segment where we discover some of the cultural, historical and travel highlights that the peninsula has to offer. And helping us on our journey are our contributors, or explorers as we like to call them. This week we have our arts explorer, Anjo, with us. Anjo, hello and happy new year. It's great to see you. Lovely, lovely, lovely and happy to you. Happy year to you. Happy new year to you as well, my friend. Where is my English today? <laughs> I'll forgive you. It's start New Year. It's, it's, we're just getting back into the swing of I things. I very much appreciate that. Thank you so much. Okay, so uh, what are you kicking off with us, uh, with us, for us as we embark on a new year now? Okay, so for this week's edition of Explore Korea, and speaking of New Year, since it's the very first one of 2024, I first pondered what Korea 24 overall is rather likely going to focus on in the new year. For instance, in domestic politics, topics such as, yes, the emergence of new political parties and how they'll do in this year's general election. Then in international politics, the ongoing wars in the Gaza Strip and Ukraine, how the new additions to the BRICS bloc, including Saudi Arabia, will influence the BRICS G7 equation. And of course, the 2024 chapter of inter-Korean relations, especially after Kim Jong-un's recent remarks that North Korea will no longer seek reconciliation and reunification with South Korea. Mm. And last but not least, what about the greatest challenge for humanity in the Anthropocene, the climate crisis? 
2023 was hellish enough. How worse will it become in the new year? So with all this in mind, for the very first culture and art treatment of Explore Korea's 2024 campaign, I've decided to introduce to our listeners an artist whose entire career so far has been an aesthetic and philosophical presentation on the very nature of the issues I've just mentioned, the nature of human conflict, how we bind and how we bust, how we do wrong and hopefully do better, especially by appreciating the beautiful potential we have to do so. So today I present the globally acclaimed brilliance of Kim Pyeong-ho. Okay, well, it certainly sounds intriguing this week. Some serious themes there that you've mentioned mm-hmm. already. So, can you tell us more? First, who is Kim byung Okay, so he was born in 1974, born and raised here in Seoul. And what this apparently means is that he's turning 50 this year. But, hey, if you meet him in person or see a picture of him, he doesn't look a day older than, <laughs> like, what, 25? <laughs> I'm okay. telling you, if he goes to a club, the bouncer will not give him a problem telling him something like, Sir, are you sure you're in the right age group to come into this facility? <laughs> but anyway, so he looks super young. Uh, he currently lives in Seoul and works in the beautiful Yangpyeong County of Gyeonggi Province. And for all the people out there who aren't that much familiar with this particular county, it's very, very close to Seoul. It's actually adjacent to Seoul. Um, they have some beautiful nature there as well. And in the art scene, we all know that many, many, many artists here in Korea have their studios in this particular area. So mm. it's culturally, artistically, and nature-wise a very interesting place of okay. the Gyeonggi province. Uh, Kim byung has an interesting academic background as well. He received his bachelor's degree from the Department of Printmaking at Hongik University, whose College of Fine Art is, and I've said this numerous times on our show, but it's one of the top three art colleges in Korea. Mm. Then, however, he went to a school which printmakers generally, generally don't take as their next academic step, the Graduate School of Advanced Imaging Science, Multimedia, and Film at Chungang University, which is, as you can tell from its name, an interdisciplinary school of visual-slash-audio art and technology. Now, I believe this can be one significant reason why his sculptures look like the creations of an artist, mathematician, and engineer collaboration. Right, so he's a sculptor then. That's right. And, as I said earlier, he is a globally acclaimed artist. He is one of the most well-established artists here in Korea. Uh, He's been exhibiting his works for the past 25 years all over the world, especially in Eurasia, Korea, China, Germany, France, the UK, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, He's also well well known for his healthy number of public art projects, especially here in Seoul. And Chang, as a matter of fact, his 2012 piece named Silent Propagation is located at the IFC complex, which is like a 10-minute walk away from where we are right now, KBS's main building on Yeoido Island. Right, so this is a piece I am very familiar with mm-hmm. because working at KBS, uh, I have walked by this piece many times uh, over the years. Yes. It's a very striking, modern-looking piece, a collection of uh, bright yellow horns, which mm-hmm. I, I think we'll get into more detail in a moment. But can you tell us more about his craft? What is he known for? Okay, so as you said earlier, he's a sculptor and he's also an installation artist. His main material, just like the one you mentioned, is metal. 
And in terms of morphology, the majority of his works look like various combinations of identical or quasi-identical modules. For instance, the one we just talked about, Silent Propagation. This one looks like, as you said, a bundle of thin yellow and identical horns. Right. When we say horns, we should specify. We don't mean horns as in antlers, like animal horns. Exactly. We mean, in this instant, musical horns. That's right. And yes, uh, let's think about that morphology and the name of the work, Silent Propagation, together. Then contemplate the possible semantics. They do look like horns, but think about it. They are not actual horns. They are not an ensemble of wind instruments, but horn-shaped pieces of metal, which form a sculpture, therefore are silent, right? And having said that, morphologically, they still look like horns, an instrument which amplifies a human's natural voice. In other words, with one horn, we can convey our thoughts to more people, And when more people believe or agree with what we say, they too may pick up their horns to do the same. Or they can pick up their phones and share the information in a more silent fashion, such as posting it on social media, right? Mm. Or number two, they can spread certain information and values in a more subtle, structural, and systemic way, as we have witnessed through the long, uncomfortable, and unfortunately still ongoing history of global propaganda. Now, the horns are painted bright dandelion yellow, providing the surface of the sculpture with a bright, warm, and attractive texture. However, underneath the yellow is the true color and material, grayish matte metal, reminding us of the poetic and profound lyrics of Simon and Garfunkel's Sound of Silence. Right. Now, a somewhat generalized version of my two cents and silent propagation can be applied to the appreciation of Kim Byung-ho's entire body of work so far. First, his insight on the political relations of entities, human-human relations, human-non-human relations, and even non-human-non-human relations. Then as a visual artist, he visualizes and materializes these invisible and intangible political dynamics, which run through the many structures of the world, from ecological to social. And by doing so, I believe he raises two simple yet com- and conventional questions, which may require the most complex and unconventional effort to answer. A, what is the nature of all this chaos? And B, what other ideal possibilities can we design and eventually build? Last but not least, in this context, I say we also take a moment to rethink how the physical and chemical nature of metal can be appreciated in the context of Kim Byung-ho's craft. Think about it. Metal is what? It's humanity's greatest and, ironically, simultaneously worst invention, right? Mm, what do you mean by that? Because think about it. With all the great things we've made with metal, we've also, what, made more sophisticated weaponry. Right, okay. In mm. the, back in the day, it was the sword, no longer stones. Now we have swords, and nowadays we have missiles and everything else in between, right? So I think that idea of using metal for his artwork, it kind of symbolizes the ability of humanity to both create and destroy, to prosper and yet also kill. And speaking of swords, let's think about human nature for a second. That double-edged sword, right? We can do so well, we can create so beautiful things, and 
Unfortunately, on the other side of that same coin or that double-edged sword, we can do so, so, so really, really not good things, right? right. So with all that in mind, right. it's a very interesting way how he applies this particular material to discuss the subject matters he has interest in. Well, we've talked extensively about that public work here in Yaido, but we're talking about him this week because he has an exhibition running in Seoul, right? Can you tell us more about that? Yes. Uh, the title of the show is Enchanted Memories. Uh, the venue is, and this venue I mentioned, I believe, a few months ago uh, for another show, but it's the wonderful gallery by the name of WWNN. And WWNN stands for What We Need Now. It's in the Samcheongdong area. It's a beautiful neighborhood to visit this time of year, especially when it snows. And uh, let's not forget, Samcheongdong is like the Mayfair of London, right? It is Korea's most iconic gallery district. They also have some fantastic uh, food and drink est- establishments. And let's not forget, they also have the Bukchon Hanokmar, right? Mm. So if you want to enjoy some traditional Korean architecture, this is the place you want to go. Uh, the show runs through January 21st. And for more information, please visit www.nn.kr. Yes, and as ever, we'll have photos uh, from the exhibition on our Instagram, KBS underscore Career 24, taken by Joe himself, mm-hmm. so our listeners can get a better sense of uh, Kim byung works. OK, we're out of time, so we're going to leave it there. Joe, thank you for telling us about another fascinating artist and exhibition, and we'll see you again next time. Lovely. This is Broadway at Tohan Jimin. Now you're listening to KBS World Radio. We've come to our closing segment now, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald. And for that, we have our staff editor, Richard Larkin, with us. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you, too. Okay, so what's the first article that you have for us today? So last month, all four members of the K-pop group Blackpink extended their exclusive contracts with YG Entertainment. But that was for group activities, not individual activities. Now we have a little idea about what two of the members, so that's Jisoo and Jenny, will be doing, thanks to Hong Yu's article in the culture section of the Korea Herald. Right, so all four members of Blackpink, they have individual contracts to pursue their individual activities, but when they're performing as a group, as a Blackpink together, they're still with YG Entertainment. Okay, so I believe Jenny was the first member to announce her plans for individual activities last month, right? That's right, yeah. So Jenny has established her own agency called OA with her mother. It seems like she's focusing a bit on variety TV. First, uh, she's set to be the first guest of the KBS late night music talk show, the season's Ihori's Red Carpet, that will air on Friday. The article also mentions that she will become a fixed member on a new variety show that will start on February 15th. So for fans who are eagerly awaiting new music, uh, sadly, nothing has been announced as of yet. Like I said, it seems like she is focusing on TV. Right. So fans will be able to see more of her on the small screen. What about Jisoo? Well, it looks like she is following Jenny's lead. That's because she has also created her own agency called Blissu. The singer actually set it up with her brother. 
And music doesn't seem to be her main focus either. Uh, her main focus will be acting. So Jisoo is expected to star in a film called Omniscient Reader. According to the article, this movie is based on a Korean web novel of the same title, and that has recorded 200 million views so far. She will also star in a zombie drama called Influenza. Fans won't have to wait uh, long to see that because the show will air sometime this year. Okay, so both Jenny and Jisoo on uh, our screens. Do we know their plans about uh, the other two members, Rosé and Lisa? There has been no announcement regarding what the other two members will do. I'm actually curious to see where their focus where, where their focus will be, whether mm. it'll be on music or acting or being on TV like Jisoo or Jenny. Yes, I think many people will be uh, very interested to see what they do as well. And also sure. what the group together as Blackpink will right. do as well, what this contract situation means for all of them. That will be something that I'm sure many fans uh, will be watching to see. Right. Uh, let's move on to the next article. What do you have for us? Well, 2024 is the year of the dragon, so I have chosen Eherin's article in the tourism section of the Korea Times, which has information about places in Korea that are named after local legends about dragons. I will go through one of them now. Our listeners can read about the other three locations in tomorrow's article. Okay, so uh, tell us about the uh, location that you've brought for us related to dragons. So the first one is a place I've actually visited two or three times before. It is Hedong Yonggun Temple, which is a great place to see if you're in the Busan area. The name translates to Dragon Palace Temple. And the legend is that the Dragon King appeared to a monk in a dream and told him to build a seaside temple and also told him to pray to alleviate hardships and bring people happiness when a nation was suffering from drought. So, yeah, the temple was established by the monk in 1376. Okay, and what can visitors find at the temple if they do decide to visit? Well, one amazing views of the sea. The colour looks really nice as well. Uh, when you first go through the temple, you will see statues of 12 zodiac animals. They are said to protect the land from evil spirits. Also, while you are there, you should make a wish because it's believed that at least one wish will come true because of the prayers people make at the temple. And if you look at tomorrow's article, there actually will be a picture so you can get an idea of what it looks like before you want to go. Sure, and for more dragon-related sites <laughs> around Korea, check out tomorrow's Korea Times. That's where we'll leave it. Richard, thank you for those stories, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's where we leave it for our show today as well. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio.